Welcome to Christ Church Pops, a podcast of Christ Church Parish in Pensacola, Florida. Here we'll be sharing the preaching of the parish, both recent and from the past, as well as conversations with the people of the parish. So let's go. Today is a great joy for Reverend Katie and I, because we get to interview one of our favorite people. Father Bob has been an institution in this church and community for a few decades now, uh, and we get to have him here with us on Christchurch Pops. Hi, Father Bob. Hi there. Glad to be here. Good to be seen and not viewed. <laughs> yes, always. <laughs> so, tell us about your story of ministry. How'd you end up here? How long were you in, on staff here at Christchurch? Well, how I ended up here, I won't go the, the whole the whole journey, but I was uh, I was rector of Trinity Church in Martinsburg, West Virginia, and it turned out to be interim when nobody knew it was going to be that. So we were coming to the end of that, and I didn't know what was next. And I went to a, a alumni convocation at Virginia Seminary, which was just 80 miles away, talking to classmates, said, I don't know what's next. And they said, there's a young woman who went through the Christian education track, and she's talking about serving in a church in Florida somewhere, and the rector's beside himself, he needs an associate, and why don't you talk to her? So I went over and talked with Frankie Taylor, and I said, I understand this or that, and she gave me his, Matt Karen's name, and, and so the next day I called Matt, and I said, I understand you're looking for an associate to join you, and we talked, and I came down and interviewed, and, and then I stayed for 20 years. <laughs> And here I am, 20 years into retirement from that. So, so 40 years total in the community. Uh, 39, be 40 next year, March of, of, of next year, yeah. Okay, so that would have been, do the math, Katie, 83? 84. 84. Uh-huh. I came just before Lent uh, in, in 84, and Matt said, uh, since you're here, why don't you teach a Lenten class? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, like, buddy, say whatever. So um, that's how we started off. Fantastic. All right, so you mentioned Matt Curran. He was a rector here for 36 years. Uh, what was it like to work with him? Oh, gosh. It was, it was fantastic, which doesn't mean it was a piece of cake. It, it just means that it was fantastic in that somehow with God's grace and love, the Holy Spirit... It worked. Um, we were basically on the same page theologically, although we had some <laughs> differences, but we also both had a sense of humor. And, uh, and so uh, laughter was a, a rich part of my 20 years, almost 20 years with, with Matt. And, um, and people talk about that, 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 that laughter seemed to bring out through the building at times. Sometimes appropriately, probably sometimes not. <laughs> but uh, but it just it just worked, and I I think part of it is is uh, I've been rector before, so it wasn't like trying to second guess. Well, if I were rector, then I I wouldn't have done that, done this. I've been in that chair, and so there wasn't second guessing, and we just seemed to mesh. And when we had conflict, we sat down, and dealt with it, and um, and so you know it. It flourished. I mean, obviously, uh, being associate, uh, that, that does, 20 years, that does not normally, that's not the case. But it was a, it was a fruitful time and creative time. And, um, 
And so I'm, I, was, I was glad. I'd never expected to be here 20 years uh, to retirement. And, um, and yet, uh, and that, it just worked out beautifully. So during those 20 years, what would you say is your most treasured memory from that? Oh, Katie, my gosh, treasured memory. Um, Let's just say one of your treasured well, memories. All right, well, I, it was, okay. Um, we had a, a homeless person, James, tall, tall person, homeless uh, Vietnam vet. And uh, James looked imposing, but he really wasn't. I mean, underneath that was was a, a, a person suffering. So James would come every now and then. In my office was where Tracy's office, because it's being wiped out, but it was that little office until we went through uh, some construction. But uh, So I would spend time with James from time to time. And on one Sunday, I was preaching, and James was in church. And... Um, he was near the back, and in front of him were two women. Um, and I could see something was going on as I was preaching, that he was doing something, saying something, and they were looking uh, more and more disturbed and sort of leaning forward. And so um, I thought I could ignore this, but something's happening. So I just stopped the sermon. And, and I, I spoke, I said, James, um, and he looked up and I said, James, right now I'm talking. If you would just be quiet, we can talk after the service. Can that be? And he nodded. So I went on with the sermon and it started up again. So I, I, I just, I, I, I blame the Holy Spirit for this, okay? I, so I just, I, I said, I'm going to pause the sermon for a moment. And I left the pulpit and I walked back down the aisle to him and I knelt down beside him and he was, he apologized. He said, Father Bob, I am sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, it's okay, James, but I just need for you to be quiet while I'm talking. And we'll have time afterwards. Can you do that? Yes, yes. That's okay. So I went back to the pulpit and tried to pick up where I'd left off in the sermon. When I looked out there, one of our members, uh, who I knew was a Vietnam vet, on the opposite side of the church had gotten up and walked over and sat next to Jane, put his arm around him. Mm. Mm. Uh, and that to me, the, the whole, what I've shared just then, but seeing that, um, it, it, was, it was, that's why I tell you that. Yeah. yeah. Um, what a beautiful manifestation or incarnation of God's love, right? Just a absolute, simple act of mercy. A simple act of mercy and uh, uh, it, um, it was a far better message than my sermon, I'm sure, that, that whole scenario rather than whatever was you know, in the manuscript. So, so yeah. I'm curious about something. You, know, you switched churches a couple times early in your ministry. I, I, I'm now at Christ Church the longest I've been in any church, seven years. And my hope is they don't run me off anytime soon. <laughs> but I was curious what it's like to do a ministry that becomes generational, right? Like we will do a, we've done weddings together where you had married the parents and buried the grandparents and, you know, been a part of a family's life for multiple generations. I was curious if you could speak to what that's like, because I haven't experienced that yet. Oh, Michael, well, I, had, I had never experienced it before. The longest I had served was uh, seven years rector of Emmanuel Church in Virginia Beach. 
Uh, but in terms of here, it's been incredible. I mean, you just listed some of the, 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 the possibilities that occur uh, several generations to stay in one place. And it was certainly true with Matt being here 36 years, but, but serving full-time 20 years here, and then hanging around, well, after I did some other stuff, after I retired and then back. But it's, um, it, it's, a very, it's obviously a very different thing. And I, I think to hold a, a newborn baby in the hospital and uh, hand it by the daddy and, uh, and then back to the mother and then in time to baptize that baby and then to come to a point where I'm, I'm celebrating the marriage of that baby yeah. now grown up and then to still be around to see that mother be a mother and a sister, whatever, it's an incredible experience. I, I think it's, it's beyond you know, adequate words to express the, the treasure and value of that. I, yeah. I just, uh, there's great value in shorter ministries as you've experienced and, and um, as you are you know, here, Katie, but I, I, I think each has its own treasures and this is a treasure of a longer period of time. And, and, and if you behave yourself. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Well, well, but it, 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 you, it, you will, you know, we'll just have to see. I, I didn't come here thinking I was going to, I had nothing in my, in my journey to suggest that I would, I would be here as long as I've been and still be here. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was taught you earn the right to preach the gospel by the way you love people, right? Like people yes. will listen way more to your message if you've shown them that you love them, right? Absolutely. But I imagine for you too, there's been this sense where you've built, you have a sort of built-in trust in a way because you've earned it in the sense that you were there when their grandmother was in the hospital. You were there when these times, you don't have to work to build that trust because they, 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 you've earned it already. And then when other situations happen, you're in a place to proclaim God's love both by word and action in a way you wouldn't be if they if you they had met you three months ago. Oh, I, I think that is so true, Michael. I there are sermons that I would not preach uh, without having uh, because I'm not a fly by night prophet. So I, I would there are sermons I would not preach uh, until there was uh, that trust. That, that sense of experience of uh, mutuality, but also being loved mm -hmm. as part of that. And, uh, and that goes a long way for, for inviting people into considering a change of perspective or direction or interpretation that's a challenge um, when they know it's coming from somebody who loves them. Yeah. And, uh, and so I... I have, you know, over the course of the years, a time I, there were things I would address uh, that had conflict, you know, nature to them, uh, but able to do that uh, because they knew it was coming from someone who loved them, yeah. mm -hmm. and was not trying to force them, but at least inviting them to consider another way to look at reality of life and um, in our relationship with God. Yeah. So being here for, for nearly 40 years as part of this community, I know you've seen a lot of changes. 
over the years. And you were speaking about how um, you've built these relationships, so you've journeyed with people in their faith and in their lives over that time. And so I wonder if you could speak a little bit to what you've observed over these 40 years um, being at Christ Church. What are some of the changes that, that stand out in your memory uh, from where you, when you started here at Christ Church to, to what you see today? In, in terms of Christ Church or the, the larger community? Either or? way, whatever you'd like to uh, Well, I think one of the things I've been aware of, and it's a community struggle, is, is what to do with homelessness. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, uh, so we've gone through at Christ Church, uh, various engage and disengage, engage and disengage. We used to have um, uh, sandwiches, bags, lunches that were made up and kept, and, and uh, so someone in the homeless community uh, put a mark somewhere out there on the sidewalk that said, this is the place, you know, you go to this place. And so we used to be a place where people came, and even during Latin suppers, uh, people would come in off the street, and and we th there was an accommodation of that. But then we reached a point where where um, where fear began to um, to emerge in terms of of the uh, the challenges, and and so you know we went through discontinuing all that, and. Uh, and now there is, uh, particularly with the two of you and Jess Pensacola, but, but the larger community is still struggling with how do we respond with, to homelessness in a caring, compassionate, loving way. And it's, it's going to be an ongoing issue where there'll be engagement and disengagement, trying to find a way, because it's a challenge. It's, it's a big challenge to move from putting band-aids on something to systemic change. That's right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, so this is what we're looking at. And so I, I think, um, you know, in terms of Christ Church being as a congregation, clergy, people, uh, we've been part of that, engaged and disengaged and trying to find a way. But, but it, it has, there's been a, a, the continuing uh, either rising up from uh, amongst the congregation or, or trumpeted by clergy like the two of you, um, uh, the calling to, to care for those who are marginalized and, and disrespected and devalued. Uh, and that's been an ongoing trait of Christ Church in some form or another. Yeah, it's interesting to me because we, we'll have these individuals come through the life of the church, right? And it's a very transient world out there for people that lack adequate places to live. So we'll have somebody show up for a year and be regular in attendance and kind of a part of the community, join us for breakfast every morning and that sort of thing. And then they just kind of disappear one day. Um, but then we have the, being a downtown church, I know you know this, but I get together with all the historic churches, pastors, we're all living this sort of constant challenge of what's the right way to love people. Because especially for us, with having both a preschool and a school, you know, within these two blocks, we have 400 children, right? And so sometimes that creates some real safety issues that we've had challenges mm -hmm. with, but yet we don't want to be Pontius Pilate and wash our hands of it and send the problem away. So how do we engage with the challenge of homelessness when we can't always do it on our physical plant, right? And so we try to that's the challenge. How do we both create a safe environment for these children in our community 
but yet also love and support people that are, as you mentioned, pushed to the outside. Well, and I think, you know, Jesus said, the poor you always have with you, which wasn't to say disregard them because you don't have me, Jesus, you know, with you always. But I think he was, to me, he was speaking of truth. We will always have the challenge mm-hmm. of, of how are we going to respond in love to those who are poor, whether it's poor in spirit, poor economically, whatever the poverty is. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, of my, one of my joys about these years is that early on, I forget what he had, uh, the records will show, but um, I was aware that churches were closing their doors to people who weren't their members who were coming looking for some support, families. And, uh, and some of the stories that were told were true and some were not. And it was the experience of stories that were being told that weren't true that was creating the closing of doors. So um, uh, I, I, did, I did call a meeting, we had a lunch meeting here, of all the downtown clergy. And uh, Frank Bell, who was at the Trinity Presbyterian Church, wanted to be part of it, um, to discuss this. This is what's going on. Can we find a way um, to, to, to do something other than closing our doors because some the people who are coming whose stories are true and they're painful and they keep having to tell it at one church after another another is there something we can do to, 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 uh, to change that and there are people who have stories that aren't true is there some way we can deal with you know filtering that out and so there was a wonderful conversation and um, Rebecca Mall, who was the assistant uh, out at Trenton Presbyterian Church, and, and I ended up collaborating. And, and it's a long story, but it's a long process. But out of that came United Ministries. It's a and, wonderful organization. And it is. And I, the fact that it is still uh, thriving, it, it's changed some of the dimensions that for a while I tried to intervene and, and rope it back in, but I decided, that, you know, it's time to just step back and pray, but, but not interfere. Because the original dream, and sometimes you had to, the dream is, is valid and substantive in the beginning, but sometimes it changes. And I, I just, uh, part of the dream was, United Ministries was uniting the churches in this community who have different perspectives and all, but coming together on a common ground for a common purpose. So we wanted a big diversity of churches that ordinarily wouldn't talk to each other, yeah. be engaged. So that was a crucial part, and the funding would come from those churches. Well, of course, over time, it's gone into funding from a lot of other sources, and in any event, it's still functioning. And Katie, as you said, it's a wonderful group. And I, for years, I'd, I, after I retired, I would come to the uh, uh, outreach committee to remind them the uh, ministries is is Christ's church. It's not another agency in the community when you're talking about where the dollar's going to go. So they're the largest recipient of our outreach money. And I heard you say that the other day, Michael, and my heart just leaped. Uh, Well, because, you know, again, the Pontius Pilate effect. People are going to show up at our doors and we say, you know, I think of it and I don't have experience as a caseworker. I don't know all the resources in this community, but yet we can have someone who does who can help them better than I could. And so if we consolidate all of our resources, we can do way more than all the churches can do individually. And so uh, it's important to me if we're going to send people away to someplace else that we're funding that place that we're sending them to. 
And also, I don't know if I told you this yet, but I'm on the board now of United Ministries. I didn't know that. Yeah, I just started. I've, I've, Wonderful. I haven't gotten to my first Thank meeting you. yet, but it just started. Uh, well, and the director is, is a, a, she's a love. I, I'm so glad she's the director. Now, we've had good directors. It, it's a bit amazing because our first director, uh, I'll make this quick, the first director was, um, uh, was in graduate school, going to graduate school social work at UWF. And we, we had a concept, we had an idea, but how are we going to manage this thing? And uh, I knew the director of the department, and so I talked with her, I said, can't we make a, a practicum out of this, and won't they get credit if they do this? And we worked out something, so she got credit for being the volunteer director, the first director of United Ministries, oh, cool. towards her master's in social work. So it, it, was, it was just wonderful the way things evolved. Oh, um, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay, well, at the end of every podcast, Reverend Katie uh, fires off a bunch of rapid-fire questions. Are you ready? No. (laughs) 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 I hope you're ready for this topic anyway. You're going to get what you get. Uh All right, so here's the first one. What was your favorite TV show as a kid? As a kid, we didn't have a TV. We didn't have a TV till I was about seventeen. So, so, but my favorite, um, I think my favorite radio program. I'd be down on the floor listening to the radio was the Green Hornet. Oh, neat. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my answer. All right. What is one book that you recommend? Oh, there's so many, but I I keep coming back, uh, referring people to this little book, Brother Lawrence's The Practice of the Presence of God. Mm. It's a simple book. But it is so inviting to experience this rapid fire. But I'm going to experience daily practicing a relationship with God, which we're meant to have by creation in His love. So, yeah. Awesome. So thinking about Scripture, what is your favorite character in the Bible and you cannot choose Jesus or God? That is so unfair. I know. Uh, Mary Magdalene. Mm. Nice. What's your favorite hymn? Um, I forget the number of it, but ye holy angels bright, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the way to God's right hand. I think that has become more recently uh, my favorite. Uh, first song of Isaiah is another, not a hymn, but I, I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. What is, or who is somebody that has been famous that you've met? Henri Nouwen. Oh, yeah? Yes. Yeah. I was. I, I went. Uh, I went up to Virginia Seminary when he was lecturing. He couldn't be in the facility there, so it was in some big other hall. And uh, at the end, he was. Uh, people were lined up for, to sign books. I didn't have a book with me, and I was the last one in line. When I got to him, he was so tired. I could see that. He looked up, and I said, "I don't have a book for you to sign. I just. I just want to thank you." He said, "You waited that long?" I said, "Well, yes. You really spoke to me." Mm. He said, do, do you have some time? I said, I do. He said, I don't know this area, but I just need to stretch my legs. Would you walk with me for a while? So for an hour and a half, we walked around that part of Alexandria. Um, and just, uh, it wasn't a constant flow of conversation, but it was, a, it was a wonderful time being in his presence. But his gentleness is, is what he had to say. It was genuine. What he writes is who he is. So. Oh, that's beautiful. That's yeah. What is one thing that instantly makes your day better? 
Oh, a big hug from Cleveland. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Makes everybody stay better. Yes. For those of you who don't know, Cleveland is one of our sextons, and I always jokingly say, not jokingly, I'm being serious when I say uh, he's the heart of the church. The nicest man you'll meet. What is something that you are grateful for today? Believe it or not, it is sitting here with the two of you doing this, for which I'm very grateful. Um, I really am. I, there's something about doing this, you all wanting to do it, but, but being a part of for which I, I am very grateful. So thank you. Thank you. We're grateful for you. Yeah, I was going to end by saying, Bob, you've been so supportive of me. I know you have been for Katie as well. Yes. When I showed up here as a brand new person, you just you showed me a lot of grace and love, and I'll always be grateful for that. Well, it was easy to do with both of you, and gladly. Uh, I don't second guess. I've uh, been in your shoes for years, and, and uh, I know the things that can go on with individuals, but, but I appreciate both of you in our wonderful congregation. Indeed. Well, I hope, my hope is that you rub off on Katie so she'll be here 20 years. That's my hope, or more. Well, I'll do the, my best, but you, you, you have to do something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the only thing I'm disappointed in this podcast is I don't remember a single pun. Uh, if those of you don't know, Father Bob is famous for his puns, and somehow we went through this whole conversation without one, but we'll do it maybe the next time we talk. It might happen. It's one of those mysterious things I have no control over. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a spiritual gift. All right. Again, Bob, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. you both. Thank you for listening to Christ Church Pops. Take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, hit like, and share with your friends. And please join us for worship in person or on YouTube or Facebook. And you can learn more about Christ Church at Christ-Church.net. This podcast is by Father Michael Hoffman and Reverend Katie Gillette and edited by Jake Wolstatter. Christ Church exists to show everyone God loves them unconditionally. So remember God loves you and have a blessed day.